Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Edwin Brown was wasting away. For the better part of two years, he grew increasingly thin and weak. As tuberculosis ravaged the once strapping young man in March of 1892, Edwin struggled to breathe as he continuously coughed up blood. He had sought a cure in the rarefied air and mineral waters of Colorado Springs, Colorado. But the 18th-month trip offered no healing powers and only left him homesick for a small town in America's tiniest state. Edwin Brown returned home to Exeter, Rhode Island, where his father tilled the soil as a Yankee farmer. George Brown had watched helplessly as the disease known as consumption took the lives of his wife, Mary Brown, in 1883, followed by his 20-year-old daughter, Mary Olive, six months later. While his only son grew weaker and weaker in the winter of 1892, tuberculosis also took his 19-year-old daughter, Mercy, who passed away after a year of sickness on January 19, 1892. The disease that took the three members of George Brown's family was the top killer of its time in the 18th and 19th centuries, particularly in New England. Tuberculosis passed easily between people in close quarters, which is why it tended to sweep through entire families, such as the Browns. While the disease was all too common for the townspeople of Exeter, what happened next certainly wasn't. In 1892, tuberculosis was still poorly understood. It wasn't widely known what caused the disease or how it spread. Doctors were unable to explain the wave of sickness washing over George Brown's family. But relatives and friends thought they knew where they could find the cause. Six feet under. With medical science failing to help Edwin Brown, distraught Exeter residents turned to superstition and the supernatural in a desperate attempt to save his life. 200 years after the Salem witch trials, a vampire hysteria gripped the New England town. A group of Exeter residents believed that Edwin's mother or one of his sisters may be undead, caught between heaven and hell and sucking the life out of him from beyond the grave. Which meant that the cure could rest within their bodies. That's the obvious point to jump to. 
with the extremely reluctant blessing of George Brown, who at first discounted the vampire theory, smart man, his relatives and neighbors visited the Brown's family plot in the town's Chestnut Hill Cemetery on March 17, 1892. In the small graveyard behind the town's Baptist church, they exhumed the bodies of Mary Brown and Mary Olive Brown. They opened the caskets and, as would be expected, found only bones inside. The townspeople then turned their attention to the casket of Mercy Brown, who had died eight weeks earlier. Accounts differ as to whether Mercy's body had already been buried or if it rested in a crypt until the ground could thaw and the undertakers could dig a grave. However, when the lid was lifted off of Mercy's coffin, her body was on her side. Her face appeared flush, and there was blood in her heart and her veins. Dr. Harold Metcalf, who had raised his objection to the entire affair, assured everyone that the lack of decomposition in Mercy's body was perfectly consistent with the fact that she had been dead for less than two months. Knowing that medicine had done nothing to save the Browns, the people of Exeter ignored the doctor's proclamations and took the presence of fresh blood in Mercy's heart as a sign that she was undead. They gathered firewood and kindled a bonfire on the pile of nearby rocks. They then cut out Mercy's heart and lungs and cremated them on the pyre. They returned to Edwin Brown's house with the ashes of his dead sister's heart and mixed them with water. Edwin consumed the concoction, but the tuberculosis continued to consume him. He died two months later on May 2nd, 1892. This was not the first time the folks took remedy of burning organs of the dead and mixing the ashes into elixir for the sick. In 1799, the townspeople exhumed the body of Sarah Tillinghast, suspecting her of being a vampire. Author Diana Ross McCain, huh, imagine growing up and being named Diana Ross. Anyway, uh, reports that there were 18 documented incidents, a vampire expert, Diana Ross. Hmm, that's fun. Author Diana Ross McCain reports that there were 18 documented instances of exhumation of family members in suspected vampire cases throughout New England in the 18th and 19th century. But the case of Mercy Brown would be the last. After digging up Mercy, the townspeople buried her heartless body in the ground of Chestnut Hill Cemetery, where under a weathered tombstone, she now finally rests in peace. Hey folks. I'm um, sorry about the delay in episodes. I know uh, it's been a while. Um, we're doing some hosting changes around here. And if I would have uploaded during those weird times, um, I could have possibly lost episodes. So I said, you know what? Let me hold off before I put out. But I'm probably going to be going weekly for a little while because I have a little bit of a backlog. So that's good. Um, yeah, I just wanted to stay, you know, tell you guys that and apologize for the delay life's got a little crazy recently i just celebrated uh my 40th birthday and my first father's day so i was kind of a little distracted with that apologies um but yeah everything's good i got some exciting announcements coming up soon real soon i hope oh boy this is a big one um but i'm just gonna continue with the story this is a story that i've been working on for a while um, I love vampire stories, and this story popped in my head a few years ago when uh, my in-laws moved to a 55 and older community, and they were doing like a Christmas pageant, and it was the most, probably one of the most surreal moments of my life, and how all these, the elderly people who live in this community, 
were just so full of energy at the sight of, you know, all the grandkids showing up and which, you know, obviously is understandable, but not the way my brain works. I said, ooh, there's a story here. Let me get let me get busy. So that brings us to this story I like to call HOA. Um yeah. Again, thank you. On to the American History at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email, I've been getting so many emails about people, you know, state by state stuff. Fantastic. Thank you. Keep them coming. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the birthday wishes. Just thank you, thank you, thank you from top to bottom. And I'll uh, see you guys soon. Well, I won't see you, but if you send me an email, I will. Um, but you'll listen to me soon? Yeah, that's probably better. All right, folks. See you later. Talk to you later. Enjoy HOA. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Nestled in the heart of Elmhurst, the Stuarts, John, Martha, and their seven-year-old Lily, were a model of an ideal small-town family. John, a strong, steady man with a pragmatic mind, was their unwavering pillar. His quick wit and resourcefulness were complemented by his innate sense of curiosity, making him a beloved figure in town. Martha, the gentle nurturer, had a heart as expansive as her radiant smile. Her love for nature was reflected in her job as a horticulturist, where she shaped and coaxed life from the stubborn earth. Between them stood Lily, a lively spark of joy, her youthfulness mirroring her innocence. Her wide-eyed wonder at the world, untamed dreams, and ceaseless questions made her the life of their warm home. In the chilly dawn of a late December morning, John sat at the breakfast table, a letter from his parents clutched in his hand. Having recently shifted to a retirement community called Hemlock Heights, the parents extended an invitation for the family to spend Christmas with them. An innocent suggestion, yet it stirred a whirlpool of emotions within John. His stoic exterior failed to hide the twinge of apprehension that gnawed at him, for he hadn't visited his parents in a decade. 
A thick silence engulfed the room, the ticking clock echoing the rhythm of his contemplation. As he broke the news to Martha, a soft sigh escaped her lips, her eyes reflecting a mirror of mixed emotion. Despite their concerns, the decision was made. They would go. The journey to Hemlock Heights was a surreal voyage. The family car meandered through the intricate embroidery of winding forest roads. The landscape cloaked in a thick veil of mist. The trees stood tall and imposing, their skeletal forms reaching out to the gray sky like pleading hands. Nature's breath blew icy drafts that frosted the glass, blurring the outside world. As they ventured deeper into the forest, the scenery transformed. A breathtaking expanse of snow unfolded before them. An endless white carpet studded with a myriad of towering pines. It was as if they had entered a forgotten realm that was frozen in time, untouched by the frenzied rush of the world that they had left behind. John gripped the steering wheel, his gaze fixed on the disappearing road ahead. Martha sat quietly, her fingers tracing patterns on the frosty windows. In the back, Lily cocooned in her thick winter coat. Her face was pressed against the cold window, watched as the ghostly forest whipped by in awe. The silence inside the car was occasionally broken by Lily's curious question or John's low, calming responses. The final stretch of their journey presented itself as an isolated path, hemmed in by towering pine trees on both sides. The narrow road, like a ribbon cutting through the snowy landscape, led them to their destination. As the signboard, Hemlock Heights, emerged from the white gloom, the car's headlights casting an eerie shadow on the weather-beaten wood. Their hearts pounded with strange, unnamed anticipation. As the steward's vehicle rolled into the heart of Hemlock Heights, a sense of awe washed over the family. Their eyes roved across the fascinating blend of homes. Half-timbered Tudor houses stood shoulder to shoulder with sleek modern homes. The snow-dusted roofs shimmered under the cold winter sun, and frost-kissed pines stood as silent sentinels around the settlement. Hemlock Heights looked like a fantastical realm torn from the pages of a storybook, a place where time seemed to dangle between yesteryear and tomorrow. The town's peaceful tranquility was pierced by the laughter and hollering of its elderly residents. Despite the icy winter weather, they were outside. Their faces wrinkled like well-worn maps, yet their eyes sparkled with inexplicable vibrancy. Wearing knitted scarves and woolen coats, they gathered around the steward's vehicle their warm smiles defying the cold air. Lily's arrival, a youngster in their ageless sanctuary, stirred palpable excitement. You see, children were a rarity in Hemlock Heights, and her youthful energy was like a breath of fresh air sweeping through the stagnant corners of their advanced years. Yet for John and Martha, this friendly welcome, although endearing, seemed peculiar. The aging residents' enthusiasm was overwhelming and oddly infectious. Their laughter echoed with an unsettling quality, slicing through the frigid air like a serrated blade. In spite of the lively ambiance, the Stuarts felt a subtle undercurrent of discomfort. There was something unnatural about the vitality of these elderly residents, something that gnawed at the edges of their consciousness. The twinkling eyes seemed to conceal secrets as old as time. The hearty laughs resonated with uncanny echoes, and their exaggerated gaiety felt like well-rehearsed performances. 
Even as they graciously accepted the greetings and exchanged pleasantries, Martha's gaze would often drift towards the imposing boundary of the pines. Their towering forms loomed ominously, casting long spectral shadows across the snow. She was captivated by their silent strength, their whispers lost in the icy wind. They stood as eerie reminders of the secluded nature of this hamlet. John, on the other hand, couldn't shake off the unease that the houses evoked. Their silent facades, the uncanny blend of old and new, all seemed out of place, like a jigsaw puzzle with its pieces forced into harmony. It wasn't meant to be. As dust fell and the temperature dropped, the welcome party dissipated, leaving the stewards standing before their temporary home, a charming cottage straight from a bygone era. The dense silence of the night was punctuated only by the distant hooting of an owl, a chilling serenade of their new life. In the following days, the stewards immersed themselves in the rhythm of Hemlock Heights. Their mornings were spent strolling along the cobblestone paths, their footprints a temporary imprint on the frosty landscape. They walked past quaint cottages, each as charming as the last, with manicured gardens sleeping under a white blanket of winter. Ivy snaked up stone facades, and dried leaves rustled in the icy breeze like whispered secrets. Gnomes and fairies carved from stone and wood stood together. Their jovial expressions were eerie in the soft, wintry light. Each house seemed to be frozen in time, a page from an ancient tale. The upcoming Christmas was a source of amplified vitality among the neighborhood's elderly residents. Their faces glowed with anticipation, their hands busy with preparations. Garland was strung across lampposts and wreaths adorned the aged wooden doors. The scent of cinnamon and cloves wafted from the kitchen, mingling the crisp winter air, creating an intoxicating mix of festive cheer and nostalgia. However, beneath the jubilation and camaraderie, the Stuarts grew uneasy. The town's peculiarities began to stand out in sharper contrast. The houses, while charming, were quiet, as if concealing something within their stoic walls. The tall evergreens' vibrant greens seemed out of place against the relentless white. The festive scent became too overpowering, an elaborate mask on an unsavory reality. At night, the lights in the cottages seemed to burn a bit too brightly, their windows a bit too cheerfully adorned, while the streets lay a stark, disturbed contrast, suave in an almost unnatural darkness. The residents' laughter, once welcoming, now began to grate on their nerves, the mirth feeling forced and mechanical. Little Lily was the first to voice her discomfort. Once bubbling with questions and excitement, she was resident. She clung to her parents, her innocent eyes shadowed by a confusion she couldn't articulate. John and Martha, while trying to dispel their own growing concerns, found their attempts falling flat in the face of their daughter's unspoken fear. As they retired to their rooms each night, the silence of the hamlet was punctuated by the distant hum of celebration, the sound echoing through the stillness, playing a haunted lullaby. Even within the warmth of their beds, the Stuarts couldn't shake off the cold tendrils of uncertainty that had started to creep into their hearts, and each new day in Hemlock Heights brought not relief, but a growing sense of dread. The closer they got to the heart of the hamlet, the further they seemed to stray from their understanding of normalcy. As Christmas Eve descended upon Hemlock Heights, an astonishing transformation swept through the hamlet. Every inch of the town was cloaked in grandeur. 
The cobblestone streets glittered under a hundred twinkling lights, casting a warm glow onto the pristine snow. The houses were adorned with shimmering tinsel and sparkling bulbs, their chimney puffing out tendrils of smoke into the biting cold. A giant fir tree in the town square was a vision to behold. Its branches weighed down with ornaments and candles. The once humble settlement had morphed into an opulent spectacle, a vision of yuletide splendor so alluring that it nearly masked a creeping dread. Amidst the shimmering magnificence, however, a sinister parlor hung over the Stewart family. Their effervescent daughter, Lily, was wilting like a bloom subjected to a harsh winter. Her rosy cheeks were slowly losing their color. Her usually bright eyes looked clouded, and her laughter, once contagious, had all but faded. In stark contrast to Hamlet's rising energy, Lily's vitality seemed to be ebbing away, leaving her parents in a growing state of anxiety. John and Martha's hearts were weighted with a gnawing worry that grew stronger with each passing moment. Each stolen glance at their ailing daughter chiseled another icy shard into their hearts. Amid the uproarious celebration around them, they were drowning in a pool of silent dread. Lily's cheerless eyes, her weak smiles, and her unvoiced complaints were like ripples in this pool, disturbing the deceptive calm of their lives. John's parents, who have been very distant since the arrival of the family, seem unbothered by this. The atmosphere thickened with an ominous undercurrent as the clock ticked closer to Christmas Eve. Each laughter that echoed in the streets rang hollow in their ears. The gleaming decorations lost their allure, appearing almost grotesque. The residents' ceaseless energy seemed grotesquely out of place amidst the wanting health of their daughter. The cheer felt forced, a joy artificial, and the excitement, a facade. The beautiful town of Hemlock Heights was turning into a theater of the macabre, the Stuarts' unsuspecting players in this dark charade. The rhythmic, haunting melodies of the Christmas carols grew louder, pervading the air like an evasive perfume. The elaborate feast being prepared in every home was a cruel mockery of their situation, their daughter too weak to partake in the delights. The sparkling wine glasses reflected their fear-stricken faces. The clinking crystal rang like a symphony to their growing despair. In the confines of their room, John and Martha cradled their sickly child their faces etched with worry. Their conversation was hushed, a whispered duet in the grand orchestra of the celebration. Their concerns remained unvoiced, trapped within the icy walls of their hearts. Yet they echoed in the silence between their words. The foreboding clues were there, scattered amidst the grandeur and the revelry. The Stuarts were teetering on the edge of a chilling revelation, their world about to shatter under the weight of an unspeakable truth. And as the clock struck midnight, the grand Christmas party in Hemlock Heights commenced, veiling the horror that lurked beneath the Yuletide joy. Doors were thrown open as the elderly hosts welcomed their guests. The air was heavy with the intoxicating aroma of mulled wine and roasted chestnuts while a chorus of Christmas carols washed over the town, their notes spiraling high above the Tudor rooftops into the star-strewn winter sky. The guests reveled in the rich flavors of the feast, their jovial conversations punctuated by bursts of merry laughter. Yet, among the swirling vortex of laughs and songs, the shadows seemed to dance with a life of their own, 
casting an uncanny pallor on the scene. The elderly hosts moved with an inexplicable agility, their eyes gleaming with a strange, almost predatory vitality. Meanwhile, Lily Stewart's condition deteriorized at an alarming pace. Her face had turned pallid, her eyes glazed over with a veil of fatigue. As the revelry reached the crescendo around them, John noticed a change in the room's energy. An ethereal glow seemed to develop his daughter, as Mr. Anderson, the president of the Homeowners Association, extended a frail hand towards her. As his fingers brushed her arm, a glow seemed to flow from Lily, drawn into his sallow skin like water seeping into the parched earth. Astonished, John watched as Mr. Anderson's appearance transformed before his very eyes. His back straightened, the lines on his face smoothed out, and his eyes flickered with renewed vigor. Meanwhile, Lily's light dimmed even further, her once rosy cheeks now ashen and her eyes barely more than vacant, dull orbs. John's heart pounded in his chest, a raw terror gnawing at his sanity as he gripped with this horrific revelation. He felt a chill crawl up his spine as the veneer of festivity crumbled, reveling in the macabre spectacle beneath. His instincts screamed for him to flee, to snatch his family away from this nightmare. Yet his limbs were frozen, his voice silenced by the horror of his discovery. The revelation slammed into him with the force of a thunderbolt, shattering the illusion of merriment and plunging him into a pit of dread. They were not amongst friends and jovial hosts. They were ensnared in the heart of a nest of predators, entities that fed not only on flesh and blood, but on the vital energies of their unsuspecting victims. In the chilling aftermath of the spectral Christmas party, reality struck the Stuarts like a sledgehammer on ice, cracking the tranquility of their existence into a thousand razor-sharp shards. They were trapped in the eye of a waking nightmare, grappling with a monstrous truth that had cast long, haunting shadows over their reunion. John's mind was a turbulent whirlwind of shock and disbelief. His gaze darted between his frail daughter and now the vibrant Mr. Anderson. The man's transformation seared into his memory like a gruesome tableau. His heart hammered in his chest, its pulsating beat a deafening reminder of the grotesque reality that he'd been plunged into. As the horrifying implications sank in, John and Martha clung to each other, their hands intertwined desperately to anchor themselves in the chaos. The neighborhood that they had admired for its timeless charm, the elderly who had greeted them with such warmth, his parents, it was all an insidious facade. Hemlock Heights was not a haven for the aged, but a thriving hive of energy-consuming vampires, feasting on the youth and vitality of the unsuspecting, hidden beneath the veneer of retirement bliss. Each polite nod, each cheerful hello, now took on a sinister undertone. The neighborhood, with its quaint homes and manicured gardens, had transformed into a monstrous banquet hall, where the guests were not just spectators, but the main course. Their insatiable appetite masked by aged smiles. The elderly residents of Hemlock Heights drew energy from their victims, siphoning their youth and leaving them as pale echoes of their former selves. They were surrounded by predators, not in the animalistic sense, but something far more ungodly and horrific. The very air around them seemed to thrum with unseen malevolence. 
Their previous perception of the world was shattered, replaced by a chilling paranoia of unseen monsters lurking in plain sight. Faced with this overwhelming terror, the stewards struggled to rationalize their situation. They questioned their sanity, their eyes, and their understanding of the world around them. Yet there was no denying the dreadful change in their daughter. Her youthful glow diminished and her energy sapped. It was a cold, sobering reality, as undeniable as the ghostly pallor on Lily's face. The crushing weight of their predicament bore down upon them, instilling fear so profound it consumed every thought, every breath, every heartbeat. They were trapped in the den of the insatiable, their lives intertwined with this horrific secret of Hemlock Heights. Amid the ghastly reality of their newfound predicament, John and Martha found themselves hemmed in by terror. Their once idyllic family reunion turned into a haunting charade of alarming proportions. The visceral fear that had lodged itself into their hearts transformed into a gritty determination. They were trapped in the lair of their insidious captors, but they refused to be mere playthings in this perverse game. In the face of this unholy assault, John and Martha became unwitting warriors. They rallied against their horrific situation, their primal instinct to protect their child fueling their desperation. Amid the Tudor-style homes and manicured gardens of Hemlock Heights, the couple waged their clandestine resistance. Their every effort aimed at shielding Lily from the energy-sapping predators. They tried to counteract the unearthly powers, exploring every possible means to fend off their attackers. Despite their desperate resistance, however, they were painfully outmatched. Their attempts to fight back were like frantic swipes against an oncoming tidal wave. Futile. Overwhelmed, they turned their attention outward, seeking help from the world beyond Hemlock Heights. Desperate phone calls were made and pleas and cries for help spilled into voicemails and text messages. Yet each attempt to contact echoed back unanswered as though swallowed up by an unseen void. The world outside remained oblivious, a deafening silence in response to their pleas. It dawned on the stewards with a stomach-churning realization that they were completely isolated. The predators of Hemlock Heights were not just hunters, but puppeteers. The unseen strings rendering the family utterly cut off from the world. As days melted into weeks, their hope began to wither under the unrelenting strain. Their resistance took on a haggard, beaten quality, as though the very air around them was sapping their willpower. The grueling inevitability of their situation crept in, its insidious tendrils coiling around their hearts. A dreadful acceptance dawned, casting long shadows of despair. The grim specter of their impending transformation lurked at the edge of their thought, their once bright future tainted by the chilling prospect of a life spent lurking in the twilight. Their eyes met over dinner one evening, the unspoken dread hanging heavily between them. They watched Lily, her vitality dimmed, her laughter a ghost of its former self. The realization was slow and painful. They were losing. As they grappled with the inevitable, the image of their once happy family seemed like a fading dream, an echo from another life. The terror had indeed trapped them, but it was the helpless despair, the mounting dread of their impending doom, that threatened to shatter their resolve completely. As the cold winter days of Hemlock Heights trudged on, John and Martha found themselves caught in the chilling embrace of a slow metamorphosis. Each day, the mayor reflected back haunting echoes of their former selves, the vibrant couple gradually replaced by gaunt figures, 
Their skin took on a sallow pallor, as if the essence of life within them was being siphoned off, leaving them a shell of their former selves. They watched as their strength ebbed away, their vitality slipping through their fingers like sand. Despite their struggle to cling to the remains of their humanity, each passing day marked their further surrender to the inevitable. The fight against the transformation became so exhausting. Yet, as their physical vigor diminished, so too did their resolve. Their desperate struggle against the current of their fate was slowly replaced by a painful acceptance. There was a night, etched forever in their memory, when they realized that they were no longer fighting the change, but had begun to drift with it. As they looked into each other's eyes, they saw not only their reflections fading, but also the hope that once glowed there. It was a silent acknowledgement of their grim fate, a solemn pact made in the face of the unthinkable. And then came the chilling final moment when the Stuarts, the once vibrant and loving family, surrendered to the transformation. It was an unholy metamorphosis that unfolded beneath the icy, moonlit sky of Hemlock Heights. The last vestiges of their humanity receded, replaced by an eerie tranquility. Their hearts, once warm with life, became as cold and unfeeling as the winter chill outside. The world of light and warmth they once knew faded into a distant memory, replaced by a macabre existence that they had come to accept. Embracing their transformation, they stepped out into the world as residents of Hemlock Heights. Their once vibrant eyes were now devoid of any human warmth, instead reflecting the eerie luminescence of their new life. The family that had once arrived with hope and love had now been consumed by a dark world that they had unwittingly entered. A ghastly year unfurled in Hemlock Heights, bearing witness to the Stuarts' macabre metamorphosis. Stripped of their vitality, John, Martha, and Lily were now specters inhabiting shells of their former bodies. In the life they now led, or instead that eerie resemblance of it, they wove into the community of their tormentors. An otherworldly gleam replaced their once genuine smiles. Their laughter resounded with a hollow echo through the frost-touched air. An oppressive emptiness cloaked them, their vibrant past fading into desolate gray, their memories playing out like an old film reel. They were haunted by the echo of their past selves, their laughter, love, dreams, all that was once human about them, now were mere wisps of vapor. The year they had spent under the icy cloak of Hemlock Heights felt more like a desolate entity, their existence an echo bouncing off the walls of their previous life. With the passage of time, they were forced to embrace the harsh reality of their eternal existence. The memories of their past selves seemed to hang in the air, taunting them with a life that they could no longer touch a painful reminder of the humanity that they have been robbed of. An eerie silence hung over their dwelling, a somber monument to the vibrancy that was once their life. And another year came to a close. A new family arrived in Hemlock Heights, the fresh canvas upon which the unholy narrative would once again be etched. The Clarksons, their faces glowing with innocent excitement, braved the icy roads leading to their new abode. Their two young granddaughters, Amy and Bella, teemed with a vibrancy that was a stark contrast to the tranquil chill that welcomed them. The Stuarts, now permanent residents of this realm of eternal twilight, greeted their new neighbors with hollow smiles and echoing laughter. The young girls giggled and skipped about, 
oblivious to the eerie welcome, their innocent exuberance casting a harsh light on the hallowed reality of Hemlock Heights. John and Martha extended the invitation, their words laced with a sinister undercurrent. We are delighted to have you here, Martha's voice echoed hollowly. Do join us for the Christmas party. It's a tradition here in Hemlock Heights. Amy and Bella, eyes wide with anticipation, tugged at their parents and grandparents. Their innocent enthusiasm only amplifying the grim foreboding. The Stuarts, once victims of this horror, were now the perpetrators, handing out invitations to a feast where youth and vitality were the main course. A dreadful deja vu seemed to echo through the silent winter air. Mirroring Stuart's own arrival, their innocent excitement, and their gradual descent into the horrific reality. And so, the nightmarish cycle of Hemlock Heights continues. The jovial facade of this town remained unblemished. The grim secrets it held well concealed beneath the frost-kissed tranquility. The vibrant Christmas lights seemed to cast long, monstrous shadows, hiding in their wake an eternal horror. The terrifying tradition was set to repeat, trapping more unsuspecting families in the endless nightmare. Thus the Stuarts, once a vibrant family full of love and dreams, had become part of the chilling tapestry of Hemlock Heights. As the ominous Christmas drew closer, the horrifying echo of their past reverberated through the hallowed grounds, whispering tales of unending horror. The dark veil of Hemlock Heights remained unlifted, its spectral inhabitants locked in the perpetual cycle of dread their past, a haunting echo of the future. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.